I want to remind us, church family, real briefly, of one of our, uh, our vision is to make disi- multiply disciples and multiply churches. And uh, we've just realized that the way we're going to be able to continue to plant more churches in Omaha and around our area is we need church planters and we need preachers and we need people who can handle the word of God and preach the word of God rightly. And so um, Gavin and I could preach every week, but we choose not to. Mostly because we're not that good, but also but we could, because we have a desire uh, to raise up other emerging preachers and train other, uh, other men to handle the scriptures rightly and to herald it rightly. And so uh, this morning, I'm joined with my friend Clay, who's going to preach the word of God. Clay came on our staff uh, four or five months ago. Uh, um, he is now working with our college ministry, City Light U. And uh, Clay's married. Uh, to Rachel, his high school sweetheart, has two little kids uh, who are super fun and beautiful and a little bit crazy, which I love and appreciate because my kid is hyperactive as well. And so we often talk about that. Uh, But Clay, uh, you were on staff at another church for a while, for nine years doing student ministries, kind of saw that that season come to an end, wanted to get into college ministry, joined our team. And church, I love Clay for a lot of reasons, but one of the things I appreciate about him is he had a salary at a church that was secure and that was more than four years old, and he left that behind to raise all of his financial support to be here because he wants to become a church planner and a preacher and a leader in our church. And so, so, so cool. Um, Clay, we appreciate your faith, and we're excited to hear the word of God preach from you this morning. And so church, a couple of rules for a new preacher. It's not just about uh, the messenger, it's about the message. And so um, can you root him on, say an amen if he says something? you agree with, give him a little energy. If you guys are quiet, he'll get tight. But if you're giving him amens and hallelujahs, he's going to get a little fired up. Okay. Half my bad sermons weren't my fault. They were your fault. Okay. (laughs) And so I'm just glad we could define the relationship right now and just understand. Okay. So let me pray for Clay and then uh, we'll get going. Jesus, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for your word and the way that it speaks and it's living and active. And God, we pray that your spirit would be in this place. God, uh, you've spoken to Clay and you've given him a word from heaven and from your word. And so, Lord, uh, would you help him herald it rightly with courage and confidence this morning? Jesus, um, I pray that you'd open up our, our, our hearts right now and our ears to your word and your truth this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen, amen. Amen, amen. Thanks, Chris. Uh, good morning, City Light. Yeah, it's hot. Ho- morning, yeah. There we go. You're taking his advice. I love it. So it's hard to believe that like six months ago, uh, you were the church that I was kind of stalking from afar. I was, in, I was up in Blair doing my thing, sending all my students to you, hoping that they'd come back and tell me what's going on here. Because you guys are doing some crazy stuff here. And I just love that I get to be a part of this church. I love that uh, we get to be, this is a church that opens up the word, that gives generously, that gives to plenty churches, that you have pastors that will sit in the seats so that I can get up on stage. It just, you guys have a unique kind of thing going here, and so I'm so thankful to be a part of it. Uh, and, and I get to be here, and I get to actually kick off the Advent series for you guys. So Advent, for those of you who don't know, simply just means arrival or coming. And so we celebrate Advent leading up to Christmas because uh, we look back at the first coming of Jesus in a manger, and we look forward to the day that he comes to reign and rule in full as our king. And so Advent is this cool season where we take a look at the four major benefits that are provided to us through Christ's coming, and those are hope, joy, love, and peace. And that's what's with these candles here, uh, and that's what we're going to be doing for the next four weeks leading up to Christmas is we're going to be looking at hope, joy, love, and peace. And so I get to kick off the series by, by talking to you what the Bible says about hope. 
How does the Bible describe hope? What does that look like for us? And I remember the first time that I actually taught on hope. Uh, it did not go super well. So I was just out of high school, okay? I'm leading my first Bible study of middle school boys, middle school students. And so we broke up. We took a look at the Word of God. We talked about kind of how the Bible talks about hope. And then I brought everybody back together and was going to do like this wrap-up talk, nail like our hope is in Jesus down. Uh, and, And as I start, I get in, I start talking about our hope in Jesus. And from the back of the room, one of my small group leaders starts correcting me as I talk. So I, every time I would say, friends, our hope is in Jesus, she would say, faith. You mean faith? Faith? We have faith in Jesus? From the back of the room. So if you're wanting to encourage a young preacher, you don't yell out corrections from the back of the room. Like, that's just not going to do it. That's not leading to confidence. And so I just kind of struggled my way through it. I just kind of just kept taking the corrections as were. And I actually left the talk with much, many more questions than I think I even answered. Because I, I left asking, so like, wait, what is hope? Did I mean faith? Did, is there a difference between hope and faith? Do we just need faith? Does hope really matter? Uh, and so, and as I've studied, obviously I'm up here because hope does matter. It matters to the believers. We need hope. We need hope as people to just kind of survive. And so, uh, and I do believe also that there is a difference between hope and faith, namely because the scriptures kind of talk about them as separate things. Uh, most clearly, Hebrews 1.11 says that faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. So whereas faith is the assurance of what we have our hope in. So whereas faith is a present confidence in the promises of God, hope is a future-oriented anticipation for the day those promises come true. So faith has to do with our confidence today in the promises. Hope has to do with our future-oriented anticipation for those promises to come true. And so what we're going to look at here is that there's lots of things that we hope for. We hope that the turkey comes out all right. We hope that our kids come down off their sugar high, right? Someday, eventually, like, come down. We hope that the Huskers will someday beat Iowa, right? We have these hopes in our lives, and these are good and right hopes, all of those. Uh, But what tends to happen is that if we begin to hope for something, it's, it's just a one step away from us beginning to put our hope in something. So it's good to hope for things where people that need hope, but we tend to kind of shift over and putting our hope in that. We become ruled by that. Our outcomes become dependent on that. And so it's good to hope to get our finances well and to strive to do that. But it's one step away from if we're not careful, putting our hope in our finances. That we, be, we gain our peace and our security based on what's in our bank account. It's good to hope for good health. You guys should desire good health. But if we put our hope in our health, then all of a sudden we, we base our value and self-worth on how well our body's functioning or how good it looks. It's good to hope for a spouse. He who desires a wife finds a good thing. Like, it's a good, right desire. But if our hope is in our spouse, then we're going to define ourselves based on whether or not that person is 
is connecting with us the way we think it should go. See, there's a fine line between hoping for something and putting our hope in something, and that's where we kind of want to tease out today, because while we are, it is good to hope for things, we are called to hope in Jesus. We're called to look forward to the hope we have in Jesus and place our hope, our affection, our longing for that day. And so we, uh, we want to look forward to Jesus as our one true hope. So, City Light, our hope is not in these temporary things, but in the salvation we have in Jesus. Now, I know I'm not breaking any new ground here, right? None of you are, are gasping because I said, we need to have our hope in Jesus, right? So that's not new. But what I want to do is I want to call us to really evaluating what it looks like for our hope to be in Jesus. What does that look like for the day-to-day? How can I have that as I, as I do my Monday through Saturday? What does it look like for my hope to be fully placed in Jesus to the point where nothing else robs that hope? My hope doesn't stray off into these other areas, but my hope is fully set in Jesus. And so for that, we're going to take a look at the scripture that they just read, which is 1 Peter chapter 1. If you've got your Bibles, I'd love for you to open up, follow along with me in the Word of God, because we're going to take a look at how our hope in Jesus is different from the hopes of this world. So point one, the first thing we're going to see is that our hope is secure. Our hope in Jesus is secure. Let's read, uh, starting in verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he's caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that's imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. So Peter starts off this book by connecting us to the future-oriented hope we have in Jesus. He connects us to the salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. And then there's like a ton of just these really good descriptors in this passage that are all pointing to one end, that our hope in Jesus is secure, it's safe, it's guarded. We, have, we can have an assurance of our hope. And so the ways, the, the descriptors are things like, it calls it a living hope, that our hope is alive because Jesus is alive, right? It's not a dead hope that kind of has no power, no effectiveness, but instead is a living hope based on the resurrection of Jesus. So if I'm going to base my hope on something, I'm going to want to side that with the guy that raised from the dead. Because once you raise from the dead, there's pretty much not anything else you can guarantee that I'm going to question. Right? If you come through on your, your, your promise to raise from the dead, you're going to be able to come through on any promise that you lay out after that. And so when we look to the future promise of God, this living hope, this future salvation ready to be revealed, we can have full assurance that it's a living hope because Jesus is alive. He is keeping this inheritance. It calls it an inheritance, something we didn't gain, we didn't earn it, but instead is given freely to us. And that inheritance is secure because of Jesus. It describes it as imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, right? Imperishable, undefiled, 
and unfading. So imperishable carries with it this idea that it's not going to pass away. It's not going to die. So everything in this life that we see is marred by sin. Everything, it's broken. It's not working right. And what we know is that from the scriptures that sin leads to death. That's very clear. Sin leads to death. So everything that's marked by sin here in this world is slowly headed moment by moment towards this death, towards this end. Okay? It's all going to, in the end, perish. But we have an inheritance that is imperishable. Right? It's not marred by sin. It's in heaven. It's kept in heaven by Jesus, not marred by sin that it's going to decay and pass away. But instead is the one hope we can have, the one inheritance that is going to last for eternity. We have an inheritance that's imperishable. It's not only imperishable, look at verse 4, it's also undefiled, right? It's not going to spoil. It's not going to go bad. Everything we've got in this world has an expiration date on it, right? It's not going to last. It's going to spoil. So when we put our hope in something in this life, it's like grabbing that gallon of milk, a gallon of milk, and putting it in the cupboard and saving it for a rainy day, right? You're putting, I'm putting my hope in this milk by, by saving it in the cupboard. But I'm saving something, putting my hope in something that's just going to go bad, right? It's going to stink. It's going to rot. I'm not going to want to open it. It's gross, okay? And when we put our hope in anything in this life, we're just grabbing that thing that's going to expire and saying, I find my rest, my security, my hope in this thing contrast that with the hope we have in Jesus that he says is not able to be defiled. It's not able to spoil. It's not going to go bad. It's going to last forever. And then it calls it, thirdly, verse 4, imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. So everything in this life kind of grows dim over time, right? Pictures fade. Moth and rust destroy. You can have a nice car but rust is coming for it eventually over time. Given enough time, rust is coming. Right? You may have some nice clothes. Moths come. They're not going to last forever. I know some of you are the, the thrift sh- store shoppers. And you're like, we can reuse it. We can reuse it. But eventually there comes a time where you're not going to be able to rewear this. Okay? And even our strength, our energy, our vitality, our bodies, they fade. They don't last. Nothing in this world is meant to last. And then you compare that to the inheritance we have in Jesus, which is going to remain just as vivid, just as colorful, just as bright when we gain it, when we gain it, when we gain our inheritance, as it is when he promised it. Right? It's not going to fade over time. It's going to remain bright and beautiful when we receive it. And then my favorite part, the way verse 4 finishes, is it says this inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation, ready to, be re- ready to be revealed in the last time. That this inheritance that we have is kept and guarded by the power of God. So this is good news because it's not up to me in order to kind of figure out like how I can how I can grip a hold and make this come about. Like when we talk about like these false hopes, things we hope in rather than hope for, my my default is to go towards the plan. 
right? I place my hope in the plan. I want to see where I need to get to, and I want to figure out how, what's the best way to get there. What are the contingencies? What's going to come along? How can I kind of avoid them, navigate the road to get where I want to go? How can I be working now in order to set myself up later? My, my default is to hope in the plan. And what that leads to when the contingencies that I can't see coming happen is I start to get, feel vulnerable because I've got no plan and I get insecure. Or I start to feel scared and I feel anxious and I start to scramble and try to gain together another plan. You see, I was never meant to hope in the plan. I was never made to kind of just base my security off of whether or not I knew where I'm going. And God's been graciously working in my life right now to just kind of pull that out and tease that and take that away from me. He's essentially taken away my planning privileges by putting me at City Light, right? Because you guys, you can't, things happen here at a whole different pace than I'm used to. Like I'm, I'm here at a two-year internship and I don't know what comes after that. But I do know that by next year, you guys will probably have announced like 17 more church plants. And like, I mean, it, it's just a crazy pace. And I have no way to know where I'll be, what I'll be doing. And that plan has been taken away so that I'm all the more able to trust that God's able to keep my inheritance for me. I don't have to figure out a way, make the right investments to keep this plan safe. It's guarded by the power of God. It's for us by God. And so we have this security from this. Because our inheritance, our living hope, our inheritance, our salvation ready to be revealed is imperishable, undefiled, kept in heaven, being guarded by faith. So I want these city light to be just more than a bunch of definitions. Okay, I can define some words and describe faith, but I want to kind of talk about, like I want to paint the picture of what this looks like in our everyday life. Like what does it look like to not put our hopes in this life and to hope fully in the next life? Because uh, there is plenty in this life to hope for. But we need to guard ourselves from making those things that we hope in. They are far too small to hope in, far too insignificant to hope in. They're not going to satisfy. They're far too short-sighted to hope in. Because, like, in the end, anything you hope in in this life, either it's not going to come to pass, leaving you utterly hopeless. Like, by definition, if you're hoping you can set your life up and then things go wrong, you are hopeless. Your hope has just been taken away. Or maybe worse is you hope in something in this life and you get it and then you come to the end of your life and realize that it had no real eternal value. That there's really no point to gaining that thing that you wasted your life setting your hope in something small and insignificant. And so we want to be a people that push our hope forward onto the future resurrection, the future return of Christ. And so this is important, and this matters, because there are going to be times where all that you have is that future hope. That's where uh, Peter goes in this text, if you look in verse 6. Our hope, point two, our hope withstands trials. I know there's an is there, but I made my outline on Tuesday, and there's too much time to change stuff. So just cross out the is, our hope withstands trials. Look at me with verse 6. 
In this you rejoice, in this salvation you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it's tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So I love this paradox here. Peter's like, well, I've introduced hope, so now I need to make a beeline towards suffering. Because you can't have hope without suffering. Right? I, did, I naturally don't make that connection, but I feel that tension at the same time. Because there's, we're meant to be a people that are marked by hope. That we have a hope in Jesus that is meant to lead to joy. And at the same time, we're a people that are marked by trials. We're, re- we're, we're receiving, things get messy, things go wrong. And we're, we're, we have to put these two things together and think, how do these two things exist? How do I remain hopeful in the midst of trials? And so Peter, what he does is, I mean, he's talking to these guys. This is meant to be passed around to a bunch of churches. And so these churches now, this Christianity is a new thing. And so these Jews that are leaving their old faith and these Gentiles that are leaving their old way of life are following this new guy named Jesus and they're receiving persecution. They're receiving loss of relationship. They're receiving loss of status. And they're wondering, is this right? Like, how do we, how do we navigate this? If we follow Jesus, we give up everything. Is, like, how do we navigate? How do we stay as a hopeful people when things are going wrong? And what Peter does is he actually just connects them. He says, they're not at odds at all. They're connected. Your trials actually have a purifying effect on your faith that lead to praise and glory and honor. So when you go through trials, these things that we tend to put our hope in, these small things of this earth, tend to get just sifted out. We're no longer able to put our hope in them. And all we have left to cling to is the hope we have in Jesus. So as these things get taken away from us, these things we kind of cling to, I, I just need this in place, I just want this in place, as we cling to those, and then they get taken away, we cling all the more tightly to Jesus. And so I want to ask, like, where is this for you? See, like, what are the, the if-then statements of your life? Like, if this is just in place, then I'll have satisfaction. If, if this peace is right, then I will be secure. Then I will be at peace. Then I will be happy. Then I will have self-worth. Then I will have value. What's that if? If I could just get this right in my life, all the other pieces would just fall into place. What we're doing in that moment is we're putting our hope in something temporary in order to gain a certain outcome. And none of those things are guaranteed because trials come in. Right? I, I experienced this firsthand a couple months ago. So my son, uh, a couple months ago, came... We, we just noticed that the, his lymph nodes on, on both sides of his face started swelling up, right? And then we thought, I don't think they're supposed to do that. Let's take him into the doctor. And so we did. Uh, and she just wasn't worried. She's like, we're, you know what? We're just going to do a blood draw. We'll find out what it is. We'll treat it. It'll be over with. No, nothing to worry about. 97% sure it's nothing bad. And so we, he, poor guy gets the blood draw. We go home. And she calls and says that, all of the things that, we, that she was screening for, all the likely candidates were ruled out. 
And not only that, but he had some blood markers like uric acid and white blood cell count ra- raising up. And so she thought that was weird, but you know what? I'm sure it's something else we're not, we haven't tested for. It'll kind of go away, so just come back in next week. Came back in next week, and the same thing happened. Got a blood draw, tested for all the, the next level of likely things, came back negative, right? And those, those things that were elevated, elevated just a little bit more. Not terribly, just a little bit. She said, okay, come back in next week. We'll do it again. Same routine, blood draw. This time they're just kind of testing for all of the long shots. We're grasping at straws. We're testing for things that I don't even know if we're in the country yet. Like we're just going for it. And when we get the call, levels raised once again. All of the things we're screening for came back negative. And she said that she thinks it's time that we just kind of schedule the appointment with the oncologist. There are a few things as perspective building, as scheduling an appointment for your two-year-old with a cancer specialist. At that moment, all your images of what the future is going to look like, what you just kind of assume that you'd get to, they are all gone. Like there is no more kind of hope that I can just kind of set my life to a certain trajectory. And that leads to some wrestling. That leads to some kind of confusion And ultimately, we did. We got to the place where we were able to say, God, you know what? Your will be done. Ultimately, our hope is not in a certain future that you haven't promised, but our hope is in you. And so when we prayed, we prayed for a diagnosis of something just not serious. We prayed for just straight healing, that if God, you just heal him, we don't even need to know what it was, just get rid of it. But ultimately, we prayed for Jesus to return and to set up his rule one day. We prayed for that future hope, the day that Jesus will come back and there will be no more disease. There will be no more tears. All creation will be made new. We cast our eyes forward onto that because when you can't cling to anything of this life, when you realize how fragile it is, how easily it can be taken away, you cling all the more tightly to Jesus. So we go, we meet with the oncologist, and all of a sudden... Uh, we get, he gets a fourth blood draw. <laughs> he's a trooper. He's tough. Don't worry. Um, and, and she says that his levels have actually come down. And she felt his lymph nodes, and she said it's not typical of lymphomas or things like that. And so I'm actually not even going to schedule a follow-up. And so we went from a couple weeks of build-up. Uh, you can imagine the tension we're feeling to just one visit, and all of a sudden things are different. All of a sudden, we have this huge relief, this huge weight, and we had to be really intentional not to just fall back into our old hopes, right? Because we got some clarity during that time. We realized how easily this stuff can be taken away from us, and we cast our eyes forward on our future hope, and that is where it's meant to be. Because just because this diagnosis came back and it's nothing to worry about doesn't mean that there's not going to be another diagnosis in the future, doesn't mean that this other thing we're planning on isn't going to also get taken away. So really, we don't have any of this security in the things of this life. Trials will come, but our future hope is resistant to that, right? Our hope withstands trials. So the holidays are tough for a lot of people. 
It's a great time to, ce- to celebrate, to come together with family. But for everybody that gets to come together with family, there are people that are missing family members at the table this year. There are people that are feeling the financial burden. There are people that the diagnosis isn't coming back well. So when these trials come, this is the time where we need to press into God and say, God, what are you doing? What are you drawing out? What are you sifting out? How are you fixing my gaze, my hope, all the more in you? Because God works in the midst of trials. These are the means that he uses to kind of draw stuff out. And so when, when trials come your way, don't think, God, are, are you seeing me? Are you hearing me? But think, what are you trying to do in this? Because he sees you. He knows you. He loves you. And he's graciously intervening in order to give you something. So, God uses trials to draw out our false hopes and refine our ultimate hope. He hasn't forgotten you. Cling all the more to him. The last thing I want to show you from this text is, that how, is how our hope changes our posture. Namely, point three, our hope results in praise. It's the natural progression that if we have a future hope, it's going to result in praise today. So let's look at verse 8. Though you have not seen him, you love him, him being Jesus. Though you do not know, though you, though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible, filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Once again, he is casting our eyes forward. Like you don't see Jesus right now, but you have this love for him. That though you don't see him in his physical self, we have this confidence that we will one day see him and we rejoice with joy. I love that redundancy, right? You don't just rejoice, you rejoice with joy. Joy that's inexpressible and filled with glory. An anticipation for what God's going to do leads to getting the time card, sorry guys, leads to rejoicing with joy, leads to an, anti- an excitement in the present. See, like, this is one of the areas you're strong, that we have an excitement and an anticipation for what God's going to do next. When I brag on the church, that's what I brag about. There's an excitement. We've seen God move. We know what he's moving towards, and we know he's going to accomplish it. So you're people that give, that serve, and that have this, that pray, and that have this excitement for what God's going to accomplish. So may we be a church that casts our eyes forward on the return of Christ. That we live our life today with anticipation, with sacrifice, knowing that our inheritance is put up for us one day. So I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to pray and we're going to take communion. Lord, I thank you uh, for this opportunity to open up your word. I thank you that you wrote words on a page that, are, that can give us so much hope. That you've secured, that you promise an inheritance for us. And may our hope be in that inheritance over top of everything else. May our desire... May our confidence be that one day you will return and set things right. Not in the temporary things of this life, but the internal inheritance that you've got given us. So we thank you for uh, how you're working in us. And I ask that the 
Holy Spirit, that you just fall and work that into our hearts and our rhythms of life. And it's in your name we ask these things. Amen.